Allen Fenstermaker here. I'm here with uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard. How are you doing today, Dr. Tom? Doing great, guys. How are you? I'm doing really good, man. Now, um, I got some uh, questions for you. Now, uh, first things we'll start off. Um, I, uh, I saw here that you got that you're trained by the Iron Sheik. What was that like being trained by the Iron Sheik? Well, it was only a couple months, and uh, it was back in the day when everybody kayfabed everybody else, and it was still a tough business to get into. Not that it's not a tough business to get into today, but it was a lot tougher then because back then, the guy still protected it and approached it as this was real, and um, they wanted to protect it. Want to see if you were going to stick with it? So that was kind of interesting. The sheet stretched me uh, twice. I remember pretty vividly, and. Um, after that, he left the territory and went and worked with a guy named uh, Nick Kozak and Joe Mercer. So uh, training with the Iron Sheik was, was pretty good. It was cool. But it was just uh, one day a week at the Coliseum for a couple months after a football player wanted to try this and figured he could do it because he knew how to do stunts and he could act. A lot more to it than that. Okay. Now, Rick, do you have any uh, questions you want to add or, at all? or? So, so you did grow up in Memphis with the USWA, and you didn't see the Texas part, right? Right, right, yes. Um, like, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, but I was catching a lot of the USWA stuff. Like, uh, right? All on ESPN and stuff, right? Or you just, uh, you I, just I caught Hell, I don't know, man. But but what? No, it was uh, USWA in Texas during that time during the '90s. I guess it was the late '90s, right? No, no, late '80s. I apologize. Yeah, late '80s. Yeah. Um, don't, don't before my yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it was it was actually um, the business at that time was still again kayfabe for the most part, uh, at least with USWA. And we would travel from a spot show from uh, on Thursday night to Dallas and get there in the morning of the uh, Friday or yeah Friday night show, do the show and then get back on the bus. There was a nice tour bus where you go back on the bus and do uh, Saturday morning, uh, pardon me, <coughs> Saturday morning TV in Memphis. And it was a very, very cool um atmosphere and, and crew and vibe at the same time. You had Jeff Jarrett, you had Steve Austin, uh, Lawler, I think, was there periodically when Embry was booking. Eric Embry was, was booking at that time. And it was it was a great uh, experience for me because there were times they would actually run spot shows after the, the Dallas TV and we would stay over. So it was, and it, and it was in the Sportatorium where I actually had uh, one of my earliest matches against Skandor Akbar, so that was that was a very very cool time for for the wrestling business and and the territories. Um, I dug it. Yeah, I dug it. It was great. Okay. Now, um, what was it like working with uh, Dirty White Boy Tony Anthony? Uh, some of those guys you just have chemistry with, and I had it with uh, Tony. I had it with Jeff Jarrett. Brad Armstrong, uh, I'm trying to think of the guys right off the top of my head, but Tony was a great worker and um, 
one of those guys, one of those people you really enjoyed being in there with because it was like a night off and you were having fun. And back then, uh, the wrestling business, it, it should be fun today too. But back then it was, it was exceptionally fun to me. And I think most of the guys in that era, because we were, we were having a great time on the road. We were having some really good matches. The business was definitely changing. Uh, but every time Tony and I went in there, uh, you, we, we really didn't have to say anything. We, we pretty much read it and, uh, did things on the fly. We never, in fact, back, back in those days in the eighties, or even go back to the seventies, you, you pretty much would go into the ring knowing what you're going to do. And that's it. Knowing for the finish. And that's it. You might have one or two spots that you say, Hey, if this comes up, let's try this. But for the most part, um, back then we didn't get a chance to, to go to the ring and rehearse and things like that. So we just talked about what we would do in the back. And, and sometimes we didn't get a chance to do that. Sometimes the dressing rooms were um, across the building from each other. So you didn't see your opponent until you stepped in the ring. So uh, working with Tony, uh, my gosh, was tremendous because you wanted guys to you know how to get heat and go out there and... Dr. Tom, what was it like uh, being in Smoky Mountain uh, wrestling, and uh, do you have any road stories that you'd like to share about from that? Well, Smoky Mountain was a great territory again because uh, it was comprised of a lot of outlaw guys who were, and when I say outlaw guys, not guys who were outlaws as far as um, just independent wrestling, but the guys who kind of were rebels or, or spoke their mind like Jim Cornette. So that was very cool, and um, we... We had guys who loved the business and looking for a place to go when the business was changing and we couldn't stop it. We weren't, weren't, weren't going to compete with the WWE or anything like that, so we knew that. Um, road stories were, well, gosh, you know, I just saw Tracy Smothers last night um, and uh, Tracy and I had. It's kind of crazy, man, because uh, you don't go you, you don't go decades in this business unless you're Bobby Eaton and not have uh, issues with somebody, or at least you know there, there's going to be a few uh, screw yous here and, and and go to hell and stuff like that. Just just because you're around each other so much, and it's the nature of the business. It's it's the entertainment business, so. Uh, Tracy and I had uh, an altercation on the side of the road one time. We called it grapple in a gravel. Uh, just because I had said something smart-ass and he didn't take to it too kindly. And wanted to, wanted to kill me. We were supposed to work a program. Uh, like starting the next day at TV. And I called Jim as soon as I got back and said, No, I'm not going to work with him. Um, I just don't want to. I'm not going to take, take, take a chance. So, I mean, the road stories there were, were pretty much stuff I really can't say on, on air. But we had a lot of, we had, we had some great times, man. It was amazing. The, the Rock and Roll Express and Heavenly Bodies and Jim Cornette being a big part of that, along with Stan Lane and Jimmy Del Rey. Um, so, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Everywhere I went was a lot of fun because I made it fun. Okay. Now Eric, do you have any, uh, anyone, any other questions? Sure. Um, so, I know that there were some interesting guys down in Smoky Mountain, and, uh, you know, we were coming up 
Candido, I loved, and I love Brian Lee, too. Brian stayed with me when he came to uh, Knoxville, came through Knoxville, and, and, and you know, there, there, were, there were certain people who, who understood me, and I understood them, and uh, that makes for, for, for a good thing if, you, if you're going to stay with somebody, you know, and not, not everybody... Uh, could be roommates, so to speak. Even even if you're partners, you know, you might have different personalities on the outside of the ring. So, Brian had a lot of potential, and I really liked him a lot. Uh, Candido was young, ambitious, and very passionate about this, which was always good. And I liked it, man. I mean, he was a great kid. Um, uh, and, I, and I got to work with him later on, too, in WWE. Uh, had, a, had a fun time watching him develop. But he was he was always great from a young age. Okay. Now, what was it like teaming with uh, Stan Lane and the team, the Heavenly Bodies? Uh, once again, it was one of those those things that um, it was fun, and Stan was a couple years older than me, and but but he already had his major run in WCW. And now he's uh, on this run in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which, you know, it wasn't WCW. He wasn't making WCW money. So while it was fun for me, for Stan, it was, uh, I think, I can't speak for Stan, but I think it was, uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. And he was traveling from Charlotte or wherever it was in the Carolinas at that time, you know, quite a ways. Uh, to come work with us, so he, but I, but we never had a, a crossword, and I thought uh, everything was fine. The reason he left, I believe, was business, and uh, I can't fault him for that. So, uh, but but he he was great to get along with, great to talk to, great to be around, funny, um, and I think that's that's a huge thing missing in the dress rooms today or in wrestling. Uh, people being entertaining and understanding that this is a uh, entertainment business, and even backstage, you know, people have to like you, people have to want to be around you, and I haven't always had that. <laughs> people haven't always wanted to be around me, but they always wanted to be around Stan. So uh, it's it's an art form, even backstage, more so than it is in the ring. And Stan was great at it. He was uh, always kept me entertained. Okay, now Rick, do you have anything else you'd like to add at all, or?
cross over to the to the other side where you have to play the game. But life is about playing the game, and Bruce knows how to play the game. Bruce is excellent at what he does, and he also knows how to get along with people, and he knows how to make friends. I, on the other hand, was have always been a loner, um, and I looked at people very cautiously, and I, I, I was hard to get to know, and I, and I didn't have a whole lot of friends. Brad Armstrong was my closest friend, because he and I were pretty much on that same on that same uh, battlefield, if you will. We, we both struggled um, to maintain our, uh, our way of uh, thinking and not having to give in to the uh, usual, hey, gossip and crap that goes on. It, it's, it's part of life, it's part of the business, it's part of any business, it's part of anything, anything you do. So when it, when it came, came to events, Bruce already had that relationship and I'm coming uh, to WWE in, in, I think it was, yeah, 1993, and I'm 33 years old. Uh, and at 33 years old, starting WWE, even though it was, uh, we, we were on the pre-show at WrestleMania 10 and WrestleMania 12, and that's great. Uh, that, that was, okay, that's what you think of it. Instead of stepping up and saying something about it, uh, I just took it because I didn't want to make waves, but you have to make waves. And I learned that later on when I started training people for WWE and Vince asked me if I would be interested in doing that, which I said yes. But I never uh, had the relationship that Bruce does. I have a relationship, yes, with all the McMahons. Uh, Shane is probably the one I'm closest to and who I still will contact maybe twice during the year, maybe more in a text now and then, but um, Bruce was always a people person, knew how to get along, knew how to walk and mix with the crowd. I'm still learning that. At, at this stage of my life, I, I still am who I am and I'm a loner and I've learned, I, I think, a lot better how to integrate, but Bruce never lost that talent to integrate. And that's why he's in the position he's in today, because he, he knows how to communicate. No matter what people think, he knows how to communicate and get his point across and um, to, to, to get people to receive his message. And that's that's key. Okay. Now, uh, I saw that you were uh, close. I heard that you were close with uh, Shane McMahon. What was that like when you were uh, when you trained him? Shane is great. Shane, Shane is is. I hate to I hate to pin this title on him, but it's actually one of the boys. Um, he just happens to be a McMahon, <laughs> but but all the McMahon, seriously, from Linda, Vince, Stephanie, and Shane, all of them are passionate about the business and about their business, and rightly so because they wanted to be the best in the world, and it doesn't just happen. People have to work at it, and they they were great at choosing great people. To, to help get their message out and uh, training the only one that I have not been in the ring with is Linda but training all of them or even just stepping in the ring training Vince for his first match with Austin was awesome but it was also intimidating at the, fact, at the same time uh, but training Shane for his first match 
was great because he knows how to make people feel at home. He knows how to make people feel at ease. That's part of the talent. That's part of the um, atmosphere and energy you want. People who know why they're there and want to make you feel and make them feel too uh, welcome and receiving <laughs> you know, to what you're trying to help teach them. So yeah, it was great. Uh, I, it was, I hate to, I don't have any other adjectives to describe it except great because he, he's one of the boys and he loves the business. He does not mind taking a bump. He does not mind getting hit. He does not mind putting in the hard work. And he's putting in, put in the hard work every time he steps in the ring. Okay. Now, um, how would you describe your experience in working with the Rock and Roll Express? Awesome. The bat, like again, like a night off because Ricky and Robert were so pro, such pros. Uh, Morton by himself, and he had he had that spark, he had that it factor then. Okay, anything else you'd like to add at all, Rick? Repetition, repetition, repetition. You have to do this over and over again to get good or to get great at it. The only way you're going to learn how to do this is to do it. And you, it's, it's, it's similar to, a, you know, it's just like a stand-up comic. You can tell jokes all day long in front of a mirror and by yourself. You don't know if they work, though, until you go in front of a crowd. So that's what we do with our training system. You're going to get in the ring, you're going to learn the basics and fundamentals that never go out of style. It's still blocking and tackling. It's still hitting the ball over the fence. Uh, the method and how you get your message across, again, I think a great coach knows how to communicate. I am not always the best communicator in the world, but I do what I think I have to do at the time. For instance, if I feel somebody needs a pat on the back, I'll go that direction. But somebody sometimes needs a kick in the ass. And there's not much room between a pat on the back and a kick in the ass. So you have to decide. And, and sometimes I decide right, sometimes I decide wrong. But either way, it's a coaching technique that you have to find that works for you, where the people who you're coaching receive your message and deliver and they understand that you're on their, their side and you want to help uh and that's a huge huge part of teaching people i oh, i don't know if you can teach confidence but i will preach preach with a p confidence all day long if you don't have confidence you can't deliver confidently and you can't put the move on like you know what you're doing so we go over it and over it and over it. And then we add the intricacies of spots and telling a story. You also have to know more than anything else today how to communicate and talk. You have to know how to talk and tell a story. What we do in the ring is really just a fraction of what this business is. It's communication, it's relationships, it's getting you where you wanna be 
but you have to have the roadmap. You have to have the directions, and that, that's what the training. Tra I'm sorry, guys. My wife just came over to the more. That's cool. You know? Anyway, so you have to have the direction, and you have to have the tools to do it, not only to teach it, but to follow it, too. So that's that's what the training's about. Okay. Now, uh, what was it like uh, working with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels in the WWE, then the, which was uh, then the WWF? Well, again, you have two very passionate guys who, who had a rivalry, uh, not only in the ring, but backstage. And it was real, and it was passionate, and that's what made that so special. Uh, and I think, especially now, as Sean and Brett look at it after, over the years, um, I think they can look back fondly, because their, their thinking... Their attitude that they brought to the ring and backstage, it translated into being real. Uh, you have to think, shoot, but work. But these guys were thinking, shoot, the whole time. And when they went in the ring, they knew what was going to make a great match. They had that feel for it. And because of such passion, Brett was going to outdo Sean as a baby face. And Sean was going to make sure he made Brett look like a million dollars. Brett was going to outdo Sean by selling for him when he went, when he felt it was time and how he felt it was you. So, and and Sean knew how to do that. And he also knew as a heel, as a guy that really felt this and believed he deserved to uh, have that have the the championship and deserved to be the top guy. Um, that was real back then, and I think it translated to the fans that people felt that tension too, and it turned into some of the greatest matches in the nineties. So. It, it was um, it was cool to see that and feel that uh, because it was that electricity in the air backstage and when they went to the ring too. Okay. I mean, two two opposite <clears throat> characters, but but it was a very um, uh, it was a fun. I go back to the word fun. It was a fun feeling, man. It really was. Now, uh, what was it like when you uh, teamed up with Jeff Jarrett to face China and Deborah on uh, Raw's War? Um, I, you know, the strange thing is sometimes, oh, no, sometimes, you, you get to the point where you know stepping in the ring is not the right thing to do because you don't want to embarrass yourself, you don't want to embarrass the people you're working with, and you also don't want to get hurt, man. I was I was feeling it by that time, and I was content to be training people and be backstage. It was still exciting, it was still cool, but I don't know that it was, um, <sighs> it, 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 again, it, it was a cool thing to do, but there was nothing that said, Hey man, I want to get back in the ring on this. I, I was I was content by that time. Uh, I, I had known my best days were behind me. My neck had been really bothering me. So uh, going into to a match like that, all I was trying to do to get was to tell the story, get the, the the angle or story over. And I think that at that time we were doing the stab referees, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I. It was, it was something that was there, and they needed a fill, they needed, a, needed someone to do it, and I was more than happy to do it, but I was also more than happy if, if not, if it wasn't happening. I was happy to be backstage, I was happy to be in the training part of it. Okay. And uh, Rick, do you have anything else you'd like to add at all? Or? 
Well, uh, before they actually had the first shot, I, I wasn't sure they were going to last. And I, I don't know. You, you can't tell the future. But then they got Jericho. This was I said they wouldn't make it before they got Jericho. But your your key I, to success is your talent. You first thing first with anything, you have to have talent. And where are you going to find the talent? Come to find out, uh, some of the guys in WWE aren't happy or weren't happy or whatever it is. Okay, there's talent, but they've been seen for years. So WWE has this way, I don't know how to describe it, don't know how to, uh, again, communicate it to you, but they have this way and they have this uh, mantra or vibe or whatever you want to call it that they will make stars or a star no matter how long it takes. It's kind of like the old saying, you know, sure, the rain dance works because they don't stop dancing until it starts raining. It's the same thing with WWE. They ain't going to stop until they find that formula. They're going to keep either adding the ingredient or taking it away. Same thing with AEW. Um, I'm not familiar with Tony Khan. I know, you know, I've seen, I only know what I've read and heard. There's other people who know more about it and, and have told me about it. But uh, Cody, I think very capable, very ambitious, very confident. I believe that's what it takes, but the key element there is talent. You have to uh, have the right guys in the right place. Chris Jericho, I think is, I hate to use the word genius, but I think he's a damn genius, man. He's, he's transformed his look, changed his gimmick, not gimmick, he's always been Chris Jericho, but changed his image, just changed his persona, changes look where it, it's the same guy but it's not the same guy he gives you something fresh and new so uh i first of all what i think about him uh may not be my cup of tea but they're not selling to me they're not i'm not your target audience i'm a i'm a fan of talent i am a fan of entertainment i'm a fan of characters but you know i I, I probably know <laughs> tomato, tomato. You, you like this, I like that. And that's, that's, that's key. Now, I'm, I'm happy for them, and I hope there's another place for guys to work because we have a, <laughs> Lynn Jacobs and I have a wrestling school, and we would love nothing better than for our guys to be somewhere successful and uh, living their dream. So I, I really do hope it succeeds, and I hope that. Uh, they look around and find the greatest young talent and, and outbid whoever they have to outbid or do whatever they have to do to to make the company work. Okay. Now, um, what was it like in your uh, return to WWE in 2007 to 2012 as opposed to like how it was within your prior run that you had? Well, uh, it was... Becoming, you know, it, it, it had not been a publicly traded company for that much before I came back in 2007, I guess. You know, I got I, I got released first time uh, and came back. It was becoming uh, more of a corporate business, and, and, and rightfully so it should be. The, Things are better for the guys. Money's better for the guys. 
but in my opinion, and wrestling is nothing more than an opinion, you still need a little of that. Now, nah, maybe you don't these days, but but it would be nice if you still had a little bit of grease, uh, dirt under the fingernails type business. It's 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 a hard business, and if you learn in a sterile environment where everything is this way, this way, this way, that's okay. But if you learn in a gritty environment where you take a bump, where you feel something different, and you're allowed to pursue that, pursue something that may work, might work, and work on it, see how it goes. Uh, feel it, and you'll know when it's going somewhere, or you need to modify it, you need to change it. Uh, so that was different in the sense it was becoming more of a corporate feel. Before, it was kind of like we were in Tampa, they were in Stanford. Uh, we would write the reports and send them in, but it, it kind of reminded me of like they were running the war room up there with really no idea what we were doing in Tampa. And we would suggest things and suggest talent to go to TV. And we would send them tapes, we would send them matches, and we would send them our reports. And they would sometimes do it, sometimes not. The office would come down sometimes and look around for a week and say, yeah, okay, well, I don't like this, I don't like this. Now, Vince and Triple H both have the big monitor in their office, and it's on 24-7. They can look at that, and they can critique a match from Stanford without anybody knowing. And I always tell people, and I've told people this before, you should always work like you're working for the company you're trying to get a job with, like Vince is watching, like Hunter's watching, like whoever's going to watch. Last night in Knoxville, uh, William Regal showed up with Dave Taylor. William Regal is the head talent developmental scout. He's the guy. And here you have these independent guys uh, with an opportunity. He may watch the match, he may not, but he came in to honor Bobby. He came in to see Bobby. But he and Dave actually watched some of the matches. And, you know, that's that's what you have to keep in mind is you never know who's going to see you. You don't know who's going to take that match, on, even on their phone. I don't care if there's 15 people, 5 people, or 1,500 or 5,000 people. You should work like a professional and go out there and, and work like you're working for where you want to go that the company you want to wrestle for. So um, when I came back, and I still had my, my style, my way of teaching. And uh, and things were becoming the way they were. And then finally, Triple H took over and decided he wanted to go a different direction. His prerogative, his, his company, well, not his company yet, but to soon to be his company, however soon may be, 20, 30, 100 years, eventually uh, it will be his say. So they, they have every right and every reason to uh, change their game plan changed uh, the direction, and that's what was different. Um, at least uh, the office was taking a more active approach and active hands-on. Uh, they didn't they didn't care for a few things, and, and that's okay. I finally gave it to them, and they didn't want that, so they got this. And that's what was different. All right. Well, uh, Rick, do you have anything yeah. else you'd like to add?
How do I feel about ECW? Is that the second part? How did I feel about ECW? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I think Shane might have had a lackluster run when he came in uh, because he might have come from ECW and because some of the guys might have looked at him like, you know, you're coming from the bingo hall. Uh, or he might have just rubbed some people the wrong way. I've known Shane since he broke in, too. And I always liked Shane. And I always got along with Shane, and I still do. I think he's a smart guy, and I think he's entertaining and funny. Uh, but some guys didn't because he's coming in to move into a spot that some guys didn't want him in. They wanted to have their buddy in the spot, and this guy's moving in to uh, take that spot. And Shane can also rub some people wrong uh, if you don't know how to take him. If you, if you first met him and, and take him at face value, he can be uh, like a smartass, but not meaning anything at all by it, except just, just we're all smartasses, but I, that could have been it. Um, you know, you're wanting to move into that spot. Well, by God, you better, you better be worthy of it. And you better uh, play our game. And maybe he wasn't ready to play a game either. And I understand that attitude. And I love DCW. ECW is again, we talk about dirt under the fingernails, that get gritty and grimy and had real and passionate. You know, it, it, if it looks, if, it, if, it, if you feel it, it's real. And those guys at ECW, uh, I'll give it to Paul Heyman. He knew how to motivate, he knew how to get people to do what he needed to be done. And it resonated. I mean, that arena in Philly is, before they renovated it, it was, it was a great wrestling building. Now it's a great wrestling building, even more so. But the, the people who would go to that that arena to watch ECW were hardcore tribal almost wrestling fans. And what I mean by tribal is like you, you could feel the tension when you walked out, man. If they loved you, they loved you. If they hated you, they let you know it. And they knew. They let you know when you messed up. They let you know when they thought it was a shit. So uh, that that part of the grit and the, and the lowdown... Um, Facts that people want to come and see some guys who would bust their butts and have passion and love for the business. It was great. It was a great opportunity for a lot of guys to go out and just express themselves. And Shane did. And I think that might have uh, rubbed some of the people who were in power at the time just wrong. And, and whether that was right, wrong, or indifferent for what, how he was treated, that's the way the business is. And, I, and Chick knew it. Uh, and I think he, he he tried to either fight it or um, I don't know if he I don't know if he ever went and just talked to the to the crew and said, "Hey guys, I get it, but what do I have to do to change it? What do you want me to do?" I don't think he wanted to do that. I think he was ready. He I think he was ready to stand his ground, which is good for him to stay true to himself. Again, good for him, but the facts being the facts. I think that was what was needed to be done at that time uh, if you wanted to succeed. I could be wrong. Just my opinion. Okay. okay. 
Now, um, I know you trained. You said you trained uh, Shane McMahon, but I also saw that you uh, trained guys like uh, Kurt Angle, Val Venus, The Rock, Giant Silva, The Bella Twins, Steve Bradley, Dolph Ziggler, Dolph Ziggler, Brackus, and uh, Cheeseburger. What was it like uh, having a hand in training those guys and uh, witnessing their success? Very cool and probably the greatest feeling so far, even even uh, not wrestling after wrestling, because I know what it was like and trying to trying to succeed. We didn't have wrestling schools on every corner like there are now, but it's it's very it's it's a great feeling when when somebody accomplishes their dream and goes on to be a success. Um, you don't, I don't want to take credit for those guys, full credit. I'm happy to be saying I had hands-on and help. But those guys had to actually go out and do it. They had to actually perform it. If I had any part of orchestrating or just said one thing to them that stuck with them, then great. That That's great. But they actually have to apply it, and they actually have to go in the trenches, and they actually have to pull it off. So you, I have to give all the credit to those guys and their mental of strength and capacity because it ain't easy not just everybody can go out and do it i'm not talking about the wrestling because i really mean it when i say the wrestling is just a fraction that much about what we do you know it really is outside the ring and, and while you're traveling and, and during the events and what, how you got backstage and how you react backstage and things like that so it's very gratifying that any of those guys even mention my name in passing, but they're the ones who actually have to go do it. So, uh, yeah, it's great. Okay. Now, uh, Rick, do you have anything else you'd like to add at all? Or? Um, I don't know. I think that, that, that's pretty much all I got right now. I mean, I don't want to overload them, you know what okay. I mean? There's been a lot of questions, you know? All right. Now, uh, one last question. Uh, do you have any advice that you would like to give for anybody that's uh, – Wanting to become a pro wrestler and entering the business? Find a great school and do your research. Uh, and I think we have a great school that we started last January uh, right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Find a great school, research them. You can research us at jpwrestlingacademy.com okay. or anywhere close to you. Um, I like the Monster Factory. I think Danny Cage does a great job. Up in New Jersey, Lance Storm just shut his school down. I think Rudy Gonzalez does a great job in, ten in uh, Tennessee, Texas, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, and why I say this is that is because go to a wrestling school is going to show you and teach you and talk about the basics and fundamentals. <sighs> because if you look and you go to a company, I don't care if it's well a good company, WWE. A, I, 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 I believe AEW is looking for the same thing, but I know Ring of Honor, uh, Impact, they're going to want to see the basics. They're going to want to see if you can lock up and you know your footwork. They're going to want to see if you can grab a headlock. They're going to want to see if you can lock up and move. Last night, Bobby Fulton was at the Bobby Eaton Appreciation. And he talked to one of my guys, and he said, lock up with me. He did. And Bobby's giving him advice. Wouldn't have found that anywhere else. But 
if you really want to do this, uh, do it. <laughs> Just take that step. But find a good school first and do your research. Find out who, who the trainer is. Where has he been? Have you ever heard of him? Look him up. Uh, what's he done? Has, has he had that opportunity within the big companies? Some guys have, some guys haven't. But look at the track record. Look at who has come from their school. Um, need them. Talk to them. Get a feel for it. Trust your gut. Trust your gut on this. Not all trainers are equal. You know, and, and I'll say this, real, just real quick, and then we'll wrap it up, I guess. Okay. Danny Cage, I don't believe, has worked for a major company. But he's brought people in from major companies to learn from. He's a good coach. There's more to coaching than just showing you the holes. Uh, the, the majority of it is, and you have to have a coach that you believe knows what he's doing. And, and the proof is in the pudding. You'll find out if you do or you don't. And then there may be trial and error. Trust me, there's been guys who, who have been in different schools, a few different schools before they found the one that fit for them. So the best advice I can tell anybody is to look at jpwrestlingacademy.com and find out if that's for you. And if it's not, check them out somewhere else. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for the interview, and uh, thanks for your time. It was an honor and a privilege to get to interview you, man. Thank you. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it, man. I hope it worked for you. All right, man. I guess I'll talk to you, talk to you later. Have a great day. You too. All right. Thanks. Bye. Okay.